Bishop. All right, welcome back for another edition of The Final Mile, where we answer your questions. Continue to send them to us. And uh, please, to support this channel, please check out our sponsors in the description box down below. Or if you're on uh, podcast, just check it out in the the show notes. Um, and uh, if you'd like to learn more about Freight 360 and our training options, check out the Freight Broker Basics course, a full-length course taught by us that covers everything from how to start a brokerage, build up your customer network, your carrier network, and even hire the right team members. So we've got uh, five questions today from the community, and these all came right from our community. It wasn't through any you know third-party source or anything. Sometimes I'll pull a funny one from Reddit, but these are all from you guys. Um, so our first I question point today... Out. Yeah, yeah man, go ahead. Like, since we've released the final mile, we were getting a lot more engagement. I think a lot more questions through it. I'm trying to keep up with them as much as possible. But again, for anybody that's listening to this regularly, if we don't get to your question directly on YouTube, we will add it to the next session where we'll try to get it here, especially the longer ones, because we've got some really good questions too that I'm trying to get to as quick as I can so that you guys get the answers. But if they are longer, more in depth answers, I might just start putting in there like, hey, see next week's final mile where we'll add it to this. So, hey, keep them coming. This is all helpful. This lets us know what questions you're running into now, not just what we're seeing. So, Absolutely. All right. So the first question, um, what does the $300 application fee include? So if you go to the FMCSA and you go to apply for an authority, whether it's a freight brokerage authority or a motor carrier authority, you will pay a $300 as of today, a $300 application fee. And um, what does it include? Well, just your application. That's literally it. It's not going to include your bond. It's not going to include your uh, process agents, BOC3. Um, it's not going to include any other insurance. It doesn't include, it really doesn't include anything except for your registering to be given a motor carrier number and a DOT number, and um, you'll be registered with the FMCSA to conduct business. So um, what's funny about that is we've talked about the low barrier to entry in our industry, right, for freight brokers. And the same goes for carriers. So when I was in DC for the policy forum, one of the things that we talked about was how easy it is for a bad actor to go out there and just buy up a hundred authorities, right? Get a hundred MC numbers, all registered in the same apartment in Montana or whatever. And all they do is they just pay 300 bucks and they go through the application process and boom, that's it, done. And obviously it looks like, you know, we're not saying charge more money. The, the goal is, you know, have some red flags in place that'll challenge people as to why are you buying a hundred different authorities. But to answer is Adrian asked this question to answer your question, Adrian, um, it's just the application. There's nothing else. You're still, if you're opening up a brokerage, you're still going to have to go out there and either put up 75 K in a freight broker trust fund or purchase through a uh, mode of a, you know, insurance product, your freight broker bond with that has a face value of $75,000 and then process agents, uh, on your BOC3, any additional insurance like general liability and contingent cargo, contingent auto, your TMS, email, all the stuff you would need. So uh, the application fee is actually one of your smallest expenses when you open up your brokerage. But um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Good question. All right. Our next one comes from Sal. Sal asks, 
How do I respond to a shipper who says they are not onboarding any new brokers or carriers right now? This is actually probably one of the most common objections people are getting in the current freight market. And we did a, um, we had a call, a coaching session through the TIA earlier today before this recording um, on prospecting, right? And it's one of the things people are going to run into right now is resistance to bring on a new broker. And one of the things that I'll let you give your take on too, Ben, but one of the things that I always say is if they're, if they're telling you they're not taking anybody new on right now or any other objection for that matter, don't just say, okay, thank you and hang up. Use it as an opportunity to try and uncover some more information, right? This happened to us um, a couple of months ago at the customer that literally the day we were trying to set them up, they changed their corporate policy. We're not adding any um, brokers right now unless you are X, Y, and Z certification or you have an asset mm-hmm. authority or yada, yada, yada. Um, ask them, dig into it. Like what, what led to that change? How long has that change been in place? And what would they do if they're in a pinch on a Friday afternoon and they've got a hot shipment to go out? Is there a exception to policy when it comes to that? So I think it, it's going to lead to any, it's going to lead to further conversation for you to be able to understand how their organization works, where they're coming from, how long that might be the policy for, what the reasoning is for, things like that. Um, it could also just be a BS objection because they try to get you off the phone. But uh, what's yeah. your take on it? We're not I mean, onboarding anybody new right now. As an analogy, right? If a door-to-door salesman shows up at your house selling anything, even if you wanted it or needed it, the first thing out of everybody's mouth is likely what? No, I'm not interested. Thank you. Yep. Right? Like it's what you're just, it's a habit. You're used to saying it. You're used to saying it when people come up to solicit you. If you feel like a salesman is going to approach you, even if you're shopping for a new car and you're walking around the lot and somebody walks up to you, most people will say at first, no, I'm just looking, right? This is the same thing. And again, the first thing I say when I get this is I do, we talked about this in the training. I do what's called like a takeaway or a pressure release. And I go, Oh yeah, that's pretty much what I've expected. To be honest, I don't even know that we would be a good fit to work with you either. The reason, and I go right into, the reason I was reaching out was, again, maybe my driver or whatever it is, I'm going to give them that reason. Hey, one of my drivers has delivered there for somebody else, said it was worth reaching out, said we might be a good fit at some point in the future. I just wanted to talk a little bit about how business has been over the past year. Do you got a second? Transition, kind of address it, but then release the pressure by saying like, I don't even know that I would work with you basically. So how do you like that? Right. But the funny thing is (laughs) I always liked that because for me too, like it, what's really hard about sales is differentiating what you're being told from taking it personally. And it's really hard because we're all human. And when somebody says they're not interested and they don't want to talk to you, yes, they're not really saying this to you, Nate Cross, or to me, Ben Kowalski. They're just saying this to the person that called them, but it's really hard to not let that wear you down, which is why sales pays a lot because it's really hard to deal with rejection all day. So the reality is, is like, it also helped my ego when I was new at sales, when I learned that, because it made me feel like I got a little bit of power in the situation and it helped with my confidence to be like, yeah, hey, fair enough. Like you don't want to onboard any company of our type. And just the same, like, I I don't know that you meet any of the criteria for anybody we would work with, but 
I'm not calling you to onboard me or to work with you today. I was calling because I wanted to just have a conversation about how things have been and what you're kind of expecting in the market. And I work with some other companies in your niche and I'm just curious how things have been going. And that's really all I'm trying to achieve in the first call because that's the truth. I'm not trying to get them as a customer today. I don't want to get onboarded. I really just want to see if it's a person I would like to work with. And if, you know, it seems like there might be a fit. That is genuinely my objective in my first call anyway. So it's not untrue and it's certainly not a lie. Yeah. And this, I mean, we're going to continue to see a a cyclical freight market for the long term. We're going to have the peaks, valleys, ebb and flow. When you get to these downturns, prospecting is important. It just just looks different, right? Prospecting right now is a lot of rapport building, relationship building, whereas prospecting two years ago was here's the eight loads they can't cover. I got to go out and try to sling a truck for them, right? And yep. we'll build rapport as time goes on, but they've got an immediate need for people. So it's it's just different. And you've got to tweak your approach based on what's appropriate for the current market. But good question, Sal. Next up is Marshall. Marshall asks, how can I source sub-agents or additional brokers for my company? So it's basically a hiring question here. The first question... Um, yeah. I would pose right back to Marshall is, are you trying to hire sub agents and additional brokers because you want to scale and you have resources to deploy? Or do you want to sell, do you want to source sub agents and brokers because you want to avoid the hard job of making prospects? <laughs> that's, a really, that's a really good because point. Um, if the motivation is you don't want to do this and you think you'll be able to get somebody else to do it on your behalf better than you, Good luck. I feel like if that is why you're trying to hire because you're not willing to do the hard thing and you think you can convince somebody else to do it for you, they're never going to sell as well as you. They're never going to care about your business as much as you do. And I've never seen that work. Anecdotally, I'm sure it has, but like, yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. Not the rule. So by the time you're looking to bring on agents or sub agents, if you're already an agent or you want to hire W2s, you should have a well-oiled machine in place that you are successful at and your main goal is just to scale because you're already doing a great job and it's time to grow and provide jobs and opportunities for other people and service more customers. So if that's the case you're in, I'll answer the question. <laughs> if you're not, you can ignore my answer. Um, you've got to, The same way that you got to go out and generate leads and prospect shippers, it's the same thing when it comes to hiring quality folks. And you've got to, you have to decide, first of all, what your business model is. And does that business model include training? Is anybody going to be remote versus in person? Do I need someone that's already experienced and or has a book of business already? Or am I going to go the, the uh, new, you know, entry level model where I hire a handful of kids out of college and train them and then set some expectations in place for prospecting metrics and then eventually profit production metrics. And if they make it, great. If they don't, they won't stay with us long term. You have to decide that business model first, and then that will dictate where you're going to find your your candidates from. I will tell you um, some things that we use at the brokerage I work for is for, to find candidates to either come as a, as a W-2 or as a, as a 1099. Um, LinkedIn is a great tool. It's basically a professional networking site that's like Facebook, but 
professional. So you can see someone's work history on there. Um, you can see where they're located, you know, stuff like that. Job boards are a great one. You can get flooded with some bad candidates or maybe unqualified candidates who apply when they don't meet your criteria that you want. But like you're a zip recruiter, indeed, stuff like that. Um, I don't know if Monster is still around as a job board, but those are great places. Um, and then you can go recruit. Like, so you can recruit from like a local college, right? Depending on the size of your business. What a lot of folks will do is they might offer an internship program. We did this at a company that I used to work for. We had a, a guy that he interned for us during the summer between college, the one year. And then he ended up, he loved it. And he came back and he, we hired him as a full-time employee after he graduated his senior year. Um, so you can get someone that comes in as an intern, you're going to pay them a little bit less and you get that help and they get to learn it and decide if they like the job or not. So what I would definitely recommend though, is have the, find a way to showcase what this job is like to somebody before you hire them and commit to paying them money if they're inexperienced, because a lot of people don't really know what freight brokering is and how much of it is very sales oriented and uh, rejection, just filled with rejection. And it's just not for them. So, but yeah, you got to find people either through traditional networking or it's online or from a college or job boards or whatever the case might be, but have that business model in place before you just start going out trying to bring people on and then decide, well, I'm going to pay this one this way and commission this one that way and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. That's my take yeah. on it. You, you need a structure, right? And if you're going to hire W-2, meaning you're going to pay them some salary to learn and you're going to train them to do this business, right? The first thing you need is you need business moving through your company so you can train them and show them how to do this, which means to your point and what I was saying earlier, like you have to have customers and this thing has to actually work already, right? Because the people that come in with just money and they say, well, I got my MC, I got my brokerage authority, I'm going to pay other people to build my company for me. One, there's nobody leading. There is no example. There is no culture. There's no existing freight to learn from. And there are no training protocols or SOP or any type of consistency whatsoever to bring anybody into, right? It's like trying to build an airplane while you're flying it. Like it's a recipe (laughs) for failure. So again, the only time I've ever seen a startup work is the person starting it up leads the charge and then they're able to take the money they're earning to then hire additional people underneath them that then grow and learn from them and then go on to be their next salespeople. And then you grow and grow from there, right? So absolutely, this can be done, right? It's just, I always think it's important to understand your motivations before you look to do these things. Because if you don't have anything there in the first place, hiring other people to build the thing for you, just, it doesn't work because they're getting less, they're getting less of the pie than you are. They're doing all of the work and they don't have anybody setting an example anyway. So even if they are successful, there's no cohesiveness. There's no, there's nothing holding it together. It's just random things happening and a transaction here. And like you said, this person's an agent, this person's a W2 and this person does this some of the time. Like they just rarely ever work because there there's is gotta no be a method of madness, right? There's no culture. There's no leader. There's just, it's like herding cats, right? That old saying, they're just <laughs> running in different directions, yeah. just trying to make sense of all of it. <laughs> yep, exactly.
All right, Madison asks, what are some pros and cons of credit card payments from a from a shipper? Um, well, there's two scenarios here. One is a prepay via credit card, and the other, I don't know which one she's referring to, but the other could just be a standard payment. Um, I would, so I'll get the less likely one out of the way. The standard payment, usually not likely to be paid via credit card. Um, there are fees associated with taking credit cards. So what a lot of brokerages will do is charge a 3% fee to whoever it is that's using the credit card to absorb the cost of that, right? So, hey, you want to use, like, let's say you're a shipper and you're a small company and they're like, oh, I want to pay all my bills on my credit card to get airline miles and points. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but the the merchant tends to be the one that has to pay the expense to get those funds. So we'll, a lot of brokers will tack that on. Now, prepayment, this is where I normally would see credit card payments, right? You look a customer up in a credit database and they have either poor credit or no credit. They just don't have any history. So you can't extend, you're not comfortable extending them a line of credit. So you'll say, fine, you can prepay and we'll, you know, we'll bring you on as a customer. And that could be in the form of ACH, which is probably the preferred method um, or a wire uh, or a credit card, which again, there's going to be merchant fees involved in that. So what I do like about the credit card in this case is that you're giving a customer the ability to show their value to you that they're going to pay their bills because they they're literally prepaying to you. And now you've got rapport and trust with them that you can go ahead and decide maybe a month down the road, I'm going to extend you a small line of credit and put you on invoicing terms. Right. And I'll report your payments to the proper agencies every week or whatnot. Um, and that will help you over time build your credit reputation for other um, other folks out there that may look you up in the future. So the good thing is, you know, you're going to get your money. But the bad thing is there's fees associated. So you might have to pass them off to the customer or eat them yourself. Did you guys ever deal with credit card payments? Was there like an SOP you had when you started? Yeah. Brokerage? I mean, I've dealt with it for all the reasons you just outlined. In fact, that was a, a pretty comprehensive explanation. I mean, we only did it. Usually it's like a new small business with no credit yeah. and you want to help them establish it. So you take it to help them move their shipment. You want to work with them. You want to help them build their credit just like any new business. So those are every instance that you outlined that I've actually been involved with credit card payments. Um, yeah. And I think Maybe there was a case or two I remember where maybe the line of credit was they were maybe having issues and needed help with like a one-off shipment and they were willing to prepay it again, but few and far between. Not yeah, as they like matter um, business. Yeah, there, I mean, there's some there are some niches in brokerage that the customer's always going to pay this way, right? Yeah. You, you could be working for um, it could be like somebody's heavy haul auctions. Right. Uh, Like Richie bro is one of them, right. Where literally like someone will buy a piece of equipment and it's a, like they are going to a a broker might literally be there at this auction site and say, I'll get, I'll get a truck for you to get this moved. Um, It could be auto hauling as well. And it's, it's just going to be some guy or girl. It's not a company and they're just going to, Hey, here's my car. Take my money. Right. And that's just, it just is what it is. Um, Trying to think of the yeah, no, 
Yeah, I would say another one might be just a company that doesn't normally ship full truckload, right? And it's just a yeah. one-off scenario where they got a large order and they normally go through other avenues. Or maybe they like just don't normally ship because they've got a storefront or whatever. And they occasionally get a request for a truckload. And I've seen yeah. that come across. Like actually, there was a weird... A, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I had a buddy actually that reached out to me about a year ago. And he started a company where they were like selling mirrors or something, him and his sister. But a lot of it was done. uh, It was like smaller stuff and it was either ship parcel or people would pick it up. It was local. He got an order for something large that had to get shipped somewhere. And he's like, man, like, like the pricing I'm getting from these people is like, it costs more than the mirror does. And he's like, it never wants me to prepay for it. I'm like, well, there you go. That's, that's kind of how things get started in the shipping world. You don't yeah. have options or leverage as a customer when you're brand new like that. You've got to find a good quality person to, you know, kind of dig your feet in and get established. So, but yeah, you're going to prepay. Yep. All right. Last question comes from Freight Broker Lounge. I don't know. That page posted it on our, on our page. Uh, when you hire agents, what do you do for email? Do they use a personal email address? Do they use your company domain? Or something else. Um, I picked this question for a reason because it kind of ties in with Marshall's question on sub agents and hiring W twos. Um, do not cheap out and go like, "Hey, use the Gmail or create a Gmail for them." It looks super unprofessional, first of all, and with yes. fraud the way that it is right now, Gmail accounts are like, dude, it's like a sore thumb. Like they stick out yes. so bad. Red flag. Just what an email is like ten dollars a month. Right. If you can't afford ten dollars a month for yes. someone to have an email address, you probably can't afford for them to have a TMS uh, license or load boards like DAT and stuff like that. Like you are just really, it's bad. It just looks bad. It's unprofessional. Um, I will say, I have um, we have a, a branch or an agency at our company that co-brands between their company name and our brokerage name. So they'll say like their company name powered by Pierce. And um, so they make it known to their customers that they're operating under this MC number because outside of brokerage, their company does other stuff like warehousing, consulting, 4PL work. And they didn't want to... Um, ha- they want it to be like transparent, right? We're, we're all of this. So they will use... They've got their company's email address and a, an email address with our domain. Um, but they're transparent about it. Again, it's not like a Gmail account that's weird or something like yes. that, but they've got a legitimate reason for it. But again, that's a business model and a business decision. If, you, if you're if you operating W2 or a smaller company, everyone should really have the same. It should be like very uniform across the board, right? Everyone should have the same email domain, probably have a similar email signature. This question just, it it screams to me, I'm going back to the question before, I don't want to do this work, so I'm going to hire a bunch of people to do the sales for me. And to either don't have the money or I don't want to pay to get them an email license. So can I get away with a Gmail account? And that's, that's what I'm worried about with this question. But that's my take. Um, I would say, I mean, what, in your experience, everywhere that you've been a freight broker, haven't you been given a email account? I have, I have never seen an instance where I've used a personal email for business. I, 
I've seen it. I don't, I've seen, oh, it, I've seen it happen. I mean, yeah. me personally, like I yeah. don't think in any legitimate company I've ever worked with, worked for, or been associated with doesn't at least have their domain and is paying for that for the email addresses. Because like you pointed out, it's like your lowest cost of everything you got to do to start up a brokerage. I mean, to be honest, like that is less than your application fee for your authority. It's less than your DAT monthly bill. It's maybe if you're using the freemium version of a TMS at first, I mean, arguably it's a little more than that, but as soon as you start paying for it, it's above that. So, I mean, like of the four or five things you need, it's probably the cheapest. And also I want to point out, like you said, like perception matters so much in sales and it is such a hurdle and you will spend all of your effort getting customers to know and trust you that you don't want to basically have the face of that be something that creates distrust, right? Like if you're doing business with any other business and any other aspect of your life and you get an email from like a Gmail or a Hotmail account or like an MSN account, right? Like if your dentist sent that to you, you wouldn't question whether or not that was fraud. If an attorney (laughs) sent it to you, if your insurance person, if your car dealership, any business you've ever dealt with in your life, if they sent you an email that didn't have the company's domain, you would probably think twice now before opening that email. And if you aren't, you should. And I want to point out something too. I talked about this on the episode with Highway, right? But today, somebody one of, somebody in our mailing list must have gotten hacked because I said in that episode, I had six emails that came through that were all very, very apparent that they were phishing emails, right? And then you'll get this too. We also got an email from somebody on our mailing list that apparently got hacked. And they're saying any email you get from anything with our name on it, do not open. They are phishing emails and they were sent by an outside party, right? So even when you're doing it correctly, and I would say like above board for industry standards or just standards in business to business, right? There's still opportunities for fraud, right? So it's like, even when you do it right, your customer might think twice. You don't want to give them any reason to second guess whether you're not legitimate. And for 50 bucks, right? Like you can get a legit email. I don't see any reason not to do it because I think it's just going to be incredibly difficult to succeed without that. How would you feel if your customer gave you a Gmail account, right? Probably a red flag. If a carrier gives you a Gmail account, um, well... You got some carriers that they're actually registering the FMPSA with the Gmail. So, but you know, maybe a little owner operator, but if it's a large fleet, right? 20 trucks, 30 trucks, and they got a Gmail account, red flag. So, all right, well, good questions. Keep them coming. Make sure you guys are sending them to us either through the the web. You can do info at freight360.net. Go right to freight360.net and hit the contact uh, form there. Our webs or our Facebook group, Freight Brokers and Carriers Network is in the show notes and description box. Uh, our YouTube channel. If you leave a comment, we'll get we'll get notified about those and try to get to those as well. But we appreciate the questions. Keep them coming. Ben, any final thoughts? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.